say hello to all of our campuses, Elk River, Maple Grove, online, Spring Lake Park. God has been doing a great thing as we've been in this series, the space between, and uh, connect groups have been gathering all over uh, the North Metro and uh, in many different places. I saw a picture of one of the hashtag photos that went out this week. People are in Stillwater gathering together and... Uh, I love it. Um, I also know people are capturing what's happening now through our online service. We had a brother that was in Pakistan last week watching us live stream and uh, part of the Emmanuel family. And you'll get to hear from him a little bit later. But it was pretty cool, pretty cool deal. Uh, we've been looking at John chapter 10. And uh, Jesus promised that uh, as the good shepherd that he's come to give us a rich and a satisfying life, a sense of a full life, a Zoe life, nothing missing. And uh, there's sometimes a gap between where we are and where the life that Jesus promised is. And so we want to bridge the gap. And there's a space between that. And the three big ideas that we've looked at so far are in your bulletin. You'll see them in the notes in there. Uh, but the three big ideas so far is the one, listen to the good shepherd and follow him. We've got to listen to him and we've got to follow him if we're going to discover the life that Jesus has for us. Secondly, rest is God's way to keep us healthy and connected to life. Rest is God's way to actually get to that. And then last week we talked about friends are the, the, the delivery system for life. So if we're going to experience life, we need friends. Turn to the person next to you and say, I need a friend. <laughs> You never know who you're sitting next to, right? You know, you might know them, you might not. But we need friends, and it's a really important thing for us to have. I want you to grab your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 17. Uh, the Bible's a big deal. Uh, it's God's inspired word that we need to regularly uh, interface with our life if we're going to experience all that Jesus has for us. And uh, in 1 Kings chapter 17, we're going to be talking about Elijah, who's a prophet. He's a prolific, uh, historic, well-known figure in the Old Testament. But if you don't know much about the Bible, let me just give you kind of a little lead-in before we go into 1 Kings 17. You know, when God begins to unfold his salvation plan to humanity, you see Genesis and Adam and Eve and the first sin, and, and then, you know, there's these genealogies, and the genealogies are, you know, generation after generation, and God is still speaking to each of those generations. And then you get highlights from particular generations, a uh, uh, time when God would speak. One of those it turns into is Abraham, and Abraham and his descendants become the nation of Israel. Israel is in slavery at one point in their history in Egypt, and while they're there, this other leader was raised up named Moses, and Moses leads them out of Egypt across the dry ground, a huge miracle of the Red Sea uh, was split, and they crossed over into the into the desert, and then years later they went into the promised land, which became known as the geographical area we now call Israel. And Israel is the story of a nation that was brought together, 12 tribes, which are actually uh, off of 12 original sons, and those, those 12 tribes, eventually Jesus comes out of that, that lineage, out of the tribe of Judah. But they also had kings, and when kings came into play, uh, kings, you know, your first one was Saul, then David, and then you're going through kind of a series of good king, bad king, good king, bad king, and some were good and some were bad, and, um, and, and God would bring his judgment on them. And along the, the way, as you read through the Old Testament, you'll discover 
that God uses these guys called prophets to speak to the leaders, to speak to the kings. And they were sometimes just advice about what to do. Other times it was warnings about uh, changing their heart if they were beginning to worship other idols. And God would pronounce judgment through these prophets. Elijah is one of those prophets. And so Elijah is one that has been used of God in a mighty way. And by the time we see him here in 1 Kings 17, he's already pronounced a judgment over Israel. And there's going to be no rain. It's going to create a drought which dries up the land and there's no food. And so um, there's good things on the other side because it's, it's meant to force the nation to repent and to turn to God. And Elijah pronounces it. Then the next thing you see here in 1 Kings 17 verse 8 is you see him being sent to his next assignment during the drought. So here we go. 1 Kings 17. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. And so he went to Zarephath, and as he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks. And he asked her, would you please bring me a little water in a cup? And she was going to get it, and he called to her, bring me a little bite of bread too. Now there's a little bit of sarcasm in my heart and my thoughts when I read a story like this. How many of you have been sitting down and you're watching uh, a game or something. This is going to make me look bad. But somebody will bring me a pop popcorn for the movie or something, right? And uh, they'll bring it and they'll go, hey, thank you. Can you give me some water too? How many of you have ever been in those situations, okay? And uh, you're like, get it for yourself. You know, I just get, gave you one thing. Now you want me to go back upstairs and get something else. And this widow is out there, and, you know, she's nice enough to get him a cup of water, but he's like, and give me some food too. Now, I don't know what the widow was really feeling like. I'm reading into the story a little bit, but I'm assuming that she's not real happy about this, but she's a good person. And uh, it says in verse 12, and she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house, and I only have a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. And I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. Now, how many know she just turned this whole thing into another thing? <laughs> I just wanted some water and some bread. You know, what, what? I'm going to die, and you want to take it, you know. She just turned, it's like a whole different experience that's taking place here. Now, as Elijah has declared this drought, and it's killing people, he's actually now face-to-face -face with one of the individuals that's experiencing the dark side of that judgment. And the truth is that sometimes people get caught up in a larger drama, and it's not a personal thing. Uh, it happens in nations. If you go around the world, and there's corrupt governments everywhere, but there's really corrupt governments where money is being funneled through relief organizations to help people in other nations, and the government takes that money for themselves, and the people starve. That's what we're dealing with in North Korea right now. There's been starvation of the people. In this situation, God is bringing his judgment to Israel because the nation as a whole, and especially its leaders, have disobeyed God. And so there's judgment. This woman is feeling the pain 
of that judgment. It wasn't her fault. She didn't do anything wrong. But nonetheless, she's in a place where she has nothing left. She's gathering sticks to cook and the last meal with a handful of oil and flour. And here's the truth. The truth is that we are all surrounded by limitations, limited circumstances, limited possibilities, and our own inner limitations. This widow's not different than all of us. As a matter of fact, we all have things in us that say, this is all I got left. I'm ready to quit. I only got one handful left, and then I'm going to die. Now, some of you are like, well, I got food. I'm going to have a lot of food for the rest of the week, so I don't identify with the widow. But you might be in a place where you feel like when you look at the relationships in your life, they're never going to change. The broken friendships and family members are never going to come back together again. And you are just like this woman. You think you are limited in seeing a transformation in the story that's around you. You might think about America right now and be really distraught as I am about much of the racial strife and the, the class strife and some of the political craziness that's going on back and forth all over and wondering how on earth is this ever going to change? And you feel limited just like the widow did in her circumstance. She was in a place where she felt like nothing was going to change and so she was preparing her last meal. At this point she had accepted the finality of her limitations, there was no room to think outside of her reality. She had settled in, thrown the white flag, given up hope, lived in what she knew and experienced. And when you're in that place, you aren't thinking about sharing anything with anyone else around you. But today I wanna to speak a word to all of us, no matter the places of limitation that we live in. Maybe you come from a family that had no good uh, character developed into you. you. All you ever knew was pain from your family of origin and people hurt you and wounded you and you feel like there's no hope for tomorrow and you're limited because of your family history. I want you to hear me today that the same thing that could be spoken of the widow could happen to you and that is this. Today I'm talking about an absolute necessity to believe for the miraculous in your life. There's an absolute necessity to believe for the miraculous in your life. The definition of a miracle, you can see it in your bulletin notes, but it's an effect or extraordinary event in the physical world that surpasses all known human or natural powers and is ascribed to a supernatural cause. It's going outside of what we can expect, what we can do, what our effort can bring, and I'm not just talking about a miracle in the sense of a supernatural healing only, which we often contextualize it into, but I think that it also moves into the domain of, of thinking about culture change or thinking about life change in your family or relational change or even this sense of overcoming some of the, the uh, uh, temptations and addictions that we have in our life. When we look at the mirror, we often will think, there's no way I can change. I've tried before. I can't change. And there, we're right in that place where we need a miracle. We need something that can take us outside of the circumstance we are. And God is the one that can bring us there supernaturally out of where we are into another place. I'm not talking just about blind faith or craziness or 
sprinkling something on your forehead. But I am speaking about the awareness to make room for the possibility that God can step into your world outside of natural law and human expectations. Sitting in our service today, we have all kinds of stories represented. We have people who have never experienced a miracle. And when I speak, you're going, I've never seen it. I've never experienced it. But we also have people who have experienced a miraculous healing in their life. People who have experienced provision or multiplication. People who have witnessed life transformation either in the mirror or in the people that they love. And I can tell you this, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are experiencing the only eternal miracle. Because salvation is the only eternal miracle. You aren't going to need a miracle in heaven. But salvation will take you through to there. I don't know if you remember back where, who you were before Jesus stepped in. Before you were choosable. When you had crossed over the line and done some stupid stuff. When your heart was angry. When you hurt other people. When you were in a place where there was not an ability to to help others, maybe not love in your heart, and you were not choosable, but Jesus chose you anyway, and he loved you, and he stepped in by his grace, and he loved you unconditionally, and then he transformed you and made you a new creation where the old is gone and the new is come. That, my friend, is a brand new miracle. That's a miracle. Well, we don't think about miracles that way. Sometimes we, we categorize it into some other category, and we need to understand we are miracles. Just to even be where we are, it's by his mercy. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're sitting next to a miracle. <laughs> you are. This widow had... Her own crisis of faith, perhaps many of them, by the time we meet her in the story. Her husband is dead. She's a widow. She probably had prayed for him to live, and he didn't. I don't want to diminish at all the deep frustration, disappointment that can settle in when we've asked for a miracle and it didn't happen. But I do want to say this to you, just because all the things didn't happen that you wanted to have happen doesn't mean the entirety of your future is shut down and you will never experience another good thing again. But in the corridors of your heart, in the emotional, mental world, we can close the door to the possibilities because of our own pain. We do that in our relationships when other people reject us and hurt us. We close the door and we don't let anybody else in because we don't want to be hurt again. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so we do that with God. We're in his relationship with him and we can close the door to him and just shut him out. For this widow, she had already experienced the death and her son is sick. I'm not even going to preach on the miracle that happens later on. Because her son ends up dying and he gets raised from the dead. But her son is sick by the time we meet her in the story. And so not only is her husband gone, she has no food. She has no 
way to get some more food. But now this man of God steps in, and I want you to hear, God is intervening into the story, not because she looked for him, but because God looks for you sometimes, even when you're not looking for him. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? He might be looking at you and you didn't expect it. You're not even looking. It's, uh, there's limitations. You've boxed it out. You're just going to survive and go to work and just do life as you are. And there's no hope. It's all black and white, gray skies. It's always raining. Nothing good is going to come. And God steps in, splits the skies, shines his light into your story just like he's doing with this widow in 1 Kings. 1 Kings 17, verse 13 says this, but, but Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you said, but make a little bread for me first. <laughs> then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. And this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, I want you to just Notice that, underline it, highlight it in your electronic Bible. This is what the who said. It's the Lord. Now Elijah's talking, but how many know Elijah's talking, but God is talking to her. You know, there are times when, there, there are a lot of times when I'm speaking, and I'll look in the faces of people. I'll imagine people on the other side, Maple Grove and Elk River. I'll look in the balcony here in Spring Lake Park. I'll look all over, and I'll go, they're listening, but they aren't listening. I know, I've seen that look on your face. Better land that plane, Pastor Nate, right? But here's what I know. If all you're doing is hearing what Nate is saying when Nate preaches... You can walk out and maybe have five good things to make your life better. But if you listen behind what I'm saying, God is speaking something to you. And when he speaks something to you, you better take notice because he's the creator of the universe. So Elijah is declaring God is saying something to you for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. And so she did, as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. It was not her last meal. And there was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. I want you to notice here, and this is the why I focused on this part of the story, not the son getting raised from the dead, that the miracle is in her house, and it's a daily miracle. You know, sometimes we want the big stuff. Give me the house, the cars, the lake. Give me the vacation. Give me the instant healing. Give me all that we want, like the ultimate dream, right? Give me that guy, give me the girl that I can marry. Give me the job, I want the job now. I want the dream, I want the power, I want the whatever it is. And then here we discover that God is very interested not just in the big stuff but in the daily stuff. 
He's interested in your house. He's interested in who you are. He's interested in the normal. And we're expected to still be faithful with the normal. If she would do what he's asking her to do, then God would daily give her what she needed. A little reminder, kind of an echo of the Israelites who were fed daily by manna. And if they tried to jar it up, it would spoil. They needed to freshly look for him new every single day. If you want a miracle in your life, I'm asking you, do you only want it for one Sunday morning? Or do you want one for your entire life? Every single day, every time you get up, letting God discover and and reveal to you that sense of a true miracle in your life. There's opportunity in your house not just in God's house, but in your house. What do you have? She had flour, oil, sticks. Moses had a staff. Jesus used a little boy's bread and fish. But miracles start with you and what you do have. Some of you here today are like, I don't have anything, Pastor Nate. You don't understand, I've lost it all. I never had anything. I don't, I don't own anything, I, but you aren't really thinking about what you do have because God starts with what you do have, not with what you don't. He starts, it's not like, I'll get a miracle when I get a job. No, starts with where you are right now. You have clothes that he's given you, and the neighbor next to you is glad you have clothes on. You ate something today or are going to eat food today. Thankful for those things. You do have some things. You do have a friend. You do have a relative. You do have somebody you talk to. You do, and we get caught up in thinking about what we don't have and we miss our miracle moment when God wants to use the things we do have, not the things that we don't. It starts with what you already have and who you already are. And I want you to notice, it's weird, but in verse 13 he says, Elijah says, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you said, but make a little bread for me first. I just want to mention this because this is actually a theme that's repeated throughout scripture. It's not just lifted from one little story. But the way God works is he wants us to turn our attention his way, then he takes care of stuff. But we want things taken care of, and then we turn our attention his way. And that's not the way a miracle works. He says first. Everybody said first. In other words, he wants her to take her attention, take care of her. It's an act of trust. She's got a little bit left over for her and her son, but she has to spice it up to give it to him, which means she would have less in the natural law of order. But how many know this is the same thing that God talks about with the tithe? When the tithe is talked about in the scripture, the first 10%, the first fruits were to be given to God. And if you give it to God, then he'll take care of all of your other stuff and bless the rest of what you have. But if you try to keep it to yourself, then you miss out on that blessing, okay? Here's the challenge. God doesn't want your money. He doesn't. He wants your heart. 
And the challenge we have in our country is so full of anxiety because we're trying to hold everything together. We're trying to take care of ourselves first, and then we want God to rescue us out of what we didn't have him lead us into in the first place. But if we could stop and let God begin to lead us, that's why if you give God the first 10 cents of every dollar that comes in, he'll take the 90 cents left over and help it go further than a dollar kept in your own pocket. And listen, he takes care of his kids. And it's not about the money, it's about your heart. If you and I can learn to say, God, I don't know how to get where I need to go. It's overwhelming to me. I can't make it all work together. There's not enough hours in the week. But I pause at the beginning of a day and I say, God, my life is yours. If I look at what he gives me financially and I give him 10%, I am now trusting him with the whole. Otherwise, I'm trusting myself with the whole, and I can't hold it all together by myself. So this is why Elijah said, you've got to give it first. Everybody said first. The God of more than enough will come in, and an everyday miracle will happen. Verse 15. So she said... So she did, as Elijah said. And she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. And there was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers. And just as the Lord had promised through Elijah, it happened. She did it just as he said. And God is into the details. The thing I love about this story is that God actually cares about a widow who is an insignificant person in the whole nation to us. But to God, he notices an individual. And that's just how Jesus is. Matthew 10, Jesus says, And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Don't be afraid. You're more valuable to God. He's interested in you. He knows how some of us have a lot more hair in our head than others. Some of you got up this morning and you spent an hour just dealing with the volume on the top of your head, that hair explosion thing. And others of you, you just got up and bicked it. I don't know, you know. You, it doesn't matter about the actual physical numbers of hairs. He's deeply interested and cares about you. He sees you. In fact, turn to the person next to you, look him in the eyes and say, he sees you. He sees you. He notices you. He's interested in you. And when we talk about miracles, we're not just talking about the big things. We're talking about the small things, too, that he's interested in us. In this week's Connect Groups, as we're gathering all together, the video, we talk with three different people that um, had miracles in their life. And they're three different types of things, big things and small. Deborah had a big healing miracle, and God healed her of epilepsy and horrible headaches. And Aaron had a problem with his wrist, and that affected his job, and God healed him in a unique way. And then we talked about Sandra, who's a single mom who lost her job, and she's trusting in God's daily provision to pay for her daughter to attend the school that she needs to go to. And each of them had different circumstances, and God notices them all. And so we're not talking about just 
if you need a physical miracle because you have a disease, although we believe that God will heal. But we're also talking about the challenges that everybody goes through at different stages of your life. And learning to lean in and believe in what Jesus can do. Often we can think, I don't need a miracle. I'm all right, Pastor Nate. Thanks. That's a great message today. But I don't need a miracle in my life. But we are considering something really important. We're not only receivers. We are ministers of miracles. We're meant to believe for miracles in the people that are around us. Jesus and John 14 said, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name. I love that Jesus, he says, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and greater works. Not only is Jesus a miracle worker, but he wants to do miracles through you. And it starts with belief. It starts with the sense of opening that door back up to the supernatural, that God would possibly go outside of our limitations. Moses said, I can't talk, I stutter, I can't speak. He was coming up with his obstacles, his limitations. But God said, who gave man his breath, his lips, his ability to speak? God says, I'll go outside of your limitations, and we have to believe. Everybody said believe. believe. Believe that God will not only want to work in our life, but in the people around us, and he will use you to be a part of his miracle. Jesus reveals our need to keep belief in our hearts and experience of our, so we can experience his life. In Mark chapter 9, there was a father who had a son who was tormented by demons and, and spirit, evil spirits. And they, he brings him to the disciples, and the disciples couldn't set him free, so they bring him to Jesus. And Jesus has this conversation. He said, what do you want? In verse 22 of Mark 9, he says, the spirit often throws him into the fire, the father says, or into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean, if I can, Jesus asks. Can you hear Jesus say this? What do you mean, if? If? But how many of us live our lives speaking out of the voice, I don't know if he can. If you can. We have a desire to see transformation for our children or for things around us or in us. But we approach Jesus and we have it with the voice that this father had. Jesus said, what do you mean if I can? Jesus asked, anything is possible if a person believes. In fact, say that out loud with me. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. See, Jesus is declaring something to an individual that he would also declare to us. Anything is possible if a person believes. Well, belief in the supernatural, the miraculous possibilities of Jesus is essential. You have to have belief. Is there a space between where you are and the miraculous in your life? Could your house, your family, your friends, people under your influence... Experience a miracle if you believe. 
Are you living in your possible or God's possible? Ask that question. Are you living today in your possible or God's possible? Who do you believe? Where is your trust placed? Following the good shepherd requires growth and embracing God's possible. And Jesus allows for something. It's very interesting in this story. He allows for our unbelief to be redirected to him. The father in verse 24 said, The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. We would be lying if we said we don't have both things running in our head at the same time. So what we have to do is declare, I do believe, Jesus, you can do this. I have a part of me that is living in unbelief. If I let that part remain inside of me like a cancer that does not get exercised out of my body, it will eat up the rest of my body and I won't discover what belief in him will do. But if I take my unbelief as this father did and I turn to Jesus and I say, I do believe, help me in my unbelief. It's amazing how Jesus can take the little mustard seed that we do have and move the unbelief out and replace it with a relational context in which he steps into our life and he becomes our faith. Come on, somebody. I don't know if you're hearing what I'm saying, but I'm saying a whole lot right now. See, I think, I think at times we get into the religious context and we cannot sing the words other people put on the screen. We can talk about belief, but we hide our unbelief. Listen, Jesus is not afraid of those things in your life that are doubts. What happens is if those doubts aren't opened up and brought to God, they become cancerous in our soul and it shuts down any of the belief we do have and then we live as the, as the widow lived where we're in a place where we have no hope and our limitations shut us down. But we can discover a miracle if we take those same things and we turn back to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I believe I want you to move in my life. Help me in my unbelief. Now there's an opening, an opportunity. The door creaks open for the God of the universe to step in for his miraculous power to be felt in our life. There is a need not just to hear from a preacher but for you to talk to your Savior about your beliefs and unbeliefs and say, I believe a little bit. And I got huge unbelief. And he's not afraid of that. Because what will happen as you open up, now all of a sudden, over time, as you follow him, that huge unbelief becomes smaller and smaller. And your belief in him becomes bigger and bigger. And you learn to live in the miraculous. Yeah. Hebrews 12, 2, but we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Chris Brooks, why don't you come up, my friend Chris. He and his family attend our church, amazing family, love you guys. 
Chris and I have been friends for decades now, um, going back to early days. And uh, Chris has been on a journey of following where God wants him to be, and he now leads an organization called the Issachar Advisors and helping organizations and churches uh, with social justice issues both locally and around the world. And uh, I was watching Chris's, uh, our, our, we prayed for him in a prayer service before he went to Pakistan last week. Remember I referenced earlier somebody that watched this in Pakistan. Well, he was going on this trip to speak, and Chris doesn't have a background necessarily of uh, Pentecostal spirituality, faith healing and that kind of thing, but God was sending him, so he went. And I watched the Facebook this week, and I went, ooh, that's unusual. And when he got back, I texted him and said, hey, can you share that on Sunday morning? And he said, yeah. So, Chris, why don't you just share what happened to you? I actually want to start out by saying thank you to my Emmanuel family for praying for me. Um, I know that there were many of you that were praying for me consistently, and you know, it's interesting. I, I have this sort of Americanized version of what goes on in the Middle East. And so I went over there and I was pretty afraid for my life. I, I mean, I told my family, I hope I come back, but I can't guarantee it. I, ne I never felt afraid the whole time I was over there. I mean, I just felt the prayers of God's people sustaining me. So thank you very much. You're my family. Um, but Nate's getting pretty worked up this morning, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. So this is my pastor. I will follow this dude anywhere to the gates of hell. And we're probably going there pretty soon. So, um, no, but um, in 1987, I remember who I was, gave my life to Christ 30 years ago. I've been a Christian for 30 years. I remember who I was 21 years ago when I married my wife. Um, I was a better man then, praise the Lord. I remember who I was 17 years ago when we had our first child and started building our family. 13 years ago, I was officing with Pastor Nate down at North Central University. I was leading a, a youth ministry foundation at the time. Um, and while we were down at North Central, hanging out together, renting out the Metrodome and bringing in Reggie Dabs and doing all kinds of stuff, a child was born in Pakistan 13 years ago. And he was born deaf. And I don't know what happened over the last 13 years of his life. I don't know what got him to the place he was when I met him five days ago. But when I met him five days ago, he was in slavery, still is, in the brick kilns in Pakistan. Met hundreds of children that are in slavery, by the way. Um, he, he's still deaf. He was. And I would imagine that when he woke up that morning that we met, his prayer was something like, God, I need a miracle. Can you imagine being deaf in slavery in a nation where less than 2% of the population believes in Jesus? That'd be a terrible thing to face every day. So when we got there, I was there to preach a healing crusade. I didn't even honestly know what a healing crusade was when I went, but they called me, the pastors in Pakistan, so I went and um, we preached, we prayed. When we prayed for this kid, I was terrified. I was like, what if, what if everything's the same? And so Pastor Tariq, who brought me down and I, we laid our hands on this kid and we started praying. Um, and Pastor Tariq was saying the name Jesus. And all of a sudden, the kid looked up kind of astonished and he said, yeah? And Pastor Tariq said, Jesus. And he said, yeah, you? And he couldn't see, he actually couldn't see Pastor Tariq. Pastor Tariq was on the side of him. So he couldn't have been mimicking his mouth. So Pastor Tariq said, Jesus, and the kid said, Jesus. With this astonishment in his eyes, he had been deaf since birth. The first word he heard was Jesus. Again, goosebumps just talking about it. Um, 
his life is going to be different forever. You know, verses like, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I mean, they probably have a different meaning now to him. My life will never be the same. And, you know, as, as Nate and I have been talking about this message, he's got a couple of questions I think he wants to ask you guys related to this story. So I'm going to get back to my story. Sorry, would you give it up for Chris? I have just that story of faith. got the preach in him too. He was about ready to go in to preach. I know that. I want us to respond to our opportunity. You m- might be the widow. You might be the one that's tried. You might be the one that's got limitations and you know God is pushing you, nudging you to believe and to take your unbelief to him as well. I'm going to just challenge you not just to have some big spiritual leader come and lay hands on you, but for you to reach out and touch and believe and talk to God today. So on all of our campuses, I'd like you to stand with me. What I'd like you to do, I'm just challenging you to do, is to step outside of your normal boundary, if you will, normal limitation, and come to God. I'm going to take about five minutes where we just go after God and worship, but it's not just singing somebody else's words, it's actually a heart conversation between you and God, where you're saying, God, I believe in you, help me in my unbelief. You're having that, that conversation with him, and then let God begin to lead you and open up the, the mosaic of opportunities of what God might want to do, not only maybe in your life, but in the people around you and the miracles that God may want to do that maybe you've stopped believing for, you've stopped believing for that wayward son or daughter, you've stopped believing for your neighbor, you've maybe you stopped believing for transformation in our culture, whatever it may be, you can begin to, as you follow Jesus, go open it up, help me to see what you see, and to follow him, and he'll say, follow me, and we got our first step is turning to him. So as we begin to sing, we're going to disconnect from our live stream here in a moment, but I, I, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to step out of where you are, Maybe go two or three feet to the right or come to the altars or go to the back of the balcony and just begin to worship. I'll close this off here and do a dismissal prayer in a few moments. But I want to challenge you. Let's go after God. Let's worship him.